0: Tell our people to tool love. I'm on it oh, Fuck that, Bugs, alright? I'm not, I'm not a fucking snitch You know what? I could argue the other side Say that if you drop down to duck and charge Then you a snitch You do it as a living you, You're a professional Government ain't want you to be organized Nah, they want you scrimping and scraping and Killing each other on the corner on some bullshit Not me That's why me and Prop Joe, we're getting ready to put this co-op together. Different Cruise One package. Best dope, best coke. Share, share, like... Been hearing about that. Been hearing about that. That's good. That's a start, right?
1: Alright, here we are, Van. Season 3, Episode 5, Straight and True. You know what is straight and true? Is that... There can never be real reform without Um, revolutionary thinking. That's what this entire episode was about, is that you have your reformers versus your non-reformers. People who are just, regardless of result, are intent on doing the exact same shit, the exact same fucked up way, regardless of the fact that it still yields very little results. And so I was struck by that kind of... uh, that tension between people out there trying to do shit a different way, even, mm-hmm. even your boy String and being me met with this resistance of people who are saying like, yeah, I know that's a new way. That's probably a better way in many ways, but we're going to stick with this old shit. You know what I mean?
0: Uh, yeah, for me, um, it, this is one of the episodes where there's so many cracks and things that are going on, but everyone seems like they're planning for battle. Uh, the war is to come, or we're already in the war, and we see different people planning for battle. Right? Uh, I have some of them right over here, jotted down on my trusty wire notepad. It seems like Tony <laughs> on carchetti getting ready to go to war, and that's Tony from the city from City Hall right there. Uh, you know. By the way, I want to say something? And, and rewatching season three it's become way more obvious to me just how a Carcetti leads uh poor Tony around by his Johnson. He just plays Tony <laughs> like a heart from hell. We see you Carcetti. We see you over there um being problematic. Uh But, it but Bunny is planning his war against the system. He doesn't believe in Stringer and Avon's war behind the war is being played. Cause there's a, The great thing about Season 3 is there's this huge, huge, huge Barksdale battle that's going on. Barksdale versus Stansfield that we know is coming. But then there's this sublime, the the more important and the more uh, sort of, you know, almost consequential war is between Avon and Stringer. And it's one that doesn't get hot until much, much later. But just watching... Their passive-aggressive tendencies toward one another, I love that. And that's this is one of the episodes, the first episode where it really takes hold in a real, real way because, you know, Avon comes home. Um, and then, obviously, the main thing is the war that's going to come uh, between the Stansfield and the Barksdales is getting geared up right now. Everybody's planning for it, and you're starting to see people choose up. But this is happening all over Baltimore right now.
1: Yeah, and no, I mean, it, it is definitely, uh, we're we're definitely getting that sense that something really big is starting to loom uh, in this in this war, in this city. Even though there is a strong push by Stringer, by Prop Joe, they're trying to consolidate. You know, this is our introduction to the New Day co-op. <laughs> and I, I and I love that they rent out a co- conference room. Those are, <laughs> I love that they, they, and not just rent out a in conference a hotel. room. In a hotel, they got right. snacks. You see that? They had snacks. Water bottles. They had a, yeah. Water bottles. A nice little fruit plate. Little water pictures. Little I mean, they it out <laughs> there. Yeah, they, they're, yeah. they're serious. They're doing yes. it the right way.
0: So much so that uh, your man is taking notes. And that I, I love that scene. He's that scene the might be, I, I was
1: thinking about this. This that, that might be the funniest. What Stringer says to him might honestly be the funniest line of season three. I think so. Yeah, like you
0: you taking notes on a criminal conspiracy. (laughs) I hope Stringer. By the way, I hope Stringer burned the paper because the feds will go in the trash and get that. Yes, they will (laughs) unravel that.
1: Good catch, man. Good catch. See that which only flies right directly into my entire premise that Stringer is not that smart. He just around a bunch of dumb fucking Mm. people. That's all it is. Mm. (laughs) Okay. Um, But, you know, nevertheless, though, what was really interesting is like, okay, that's what I meant about reform, is Stringer's trying to do something that just isn't done in the drug game, where, you you know what, it kind of reminded me of, he's trying to create the drug version of NFL Mm. ownership, all right, because NFL owners, 32 teams, they revenue share, they meet at the owners' meetings every year to discuss policies, plans, And even though everybody doesn't necessarily get along, they all have the shared mutual interest of money making and business and keeping shit going um, in a very concise, efficient manner. That's what bonds them together is what they can make and keeping people in this case uh, with the co-op, keeping the cops from out of their business. You know, the NFL is the same way. It's like they're trying to continue to sell this idea. Hey, we're the best sport in America. We're the most well-run sport in America. We don't want any negative headlines. We don't want any controversies. We just want to be well-liked by everybody. Mm. So it just kind of reminded me of of the NFL and like And, and, and even like
0: uh, the guys in, in Baltimore, the NFL owners are a cartel.
1: That is exactly <laughs> right. That is exactly right. But uh, it, it, even in the, the the idea of reform seems to be so repugnant to so many people in here uh, who don't realize that if they continue, you know, it's the old adage. You keep doing shit, um, you know, keep doing shit the same way. You're going to keep getting the same results. Like even Bubbles is trying to get Johnny her, a, on a new all path. Right. He's just like, yo, we could just snitch. All right. He, he's trying to snitch and, and sell white right. tees. Okay. That's what... The- Right. Bubbles is like, if we just snitch, then we don't have to worry about coming up with these elaborate schemes and capers, which ultimately may wind up with us getting our head cracked open. Why are we risking ourselves when we could do this the easiest way possible, We just tell the police shit that we gonna see on the street yeah. anyway? All we have to do is gather information, which we naturally do because we run in those circles. So um, and even cutting with the two knuckleheads that he's been saddled with. He just like, why? Sometimes he looks at them like why y'all yeah. so dumb? And I was like, I just feel for him because he's trying to get them to understand how to think their way out of situation instead of being dumb and dumber. So, nevertheless, uh, as you said, you have people who are arming up for war and I see a whole mu- bunch of motherfuckers who need to be reformed who just right. refuse. <laughs> right. Who just flat out mm-hmm. refuse. It's just what it is. So, here's the recap. Big thing. Avon, finally Yay! out of jail. Fresh out of jail. <laughs> Baltimore dreaming. Um, <laughs> And he is immediately thrust into a much different world than the one that he left. The Barksdales are legitimate, or yeah. mostly legitimate. And Ava does not know what to make of a legitimate Barksdale operation. Mm-hmm. Hamsterdam is fully operational. Uh, the plan to corral the young hoppers and get them to move to the designated zones didn't work. So he said, you know what? Let me take this shit to the lieutenant. Um, I, one of the... Two of the best lines that were uttered in this episode happened in the course of Bunny trying to get his new world order established. (laughs) One, I love the term "fecal gravity," which he said. (laughs) "Fecal gravity" is such a great term. That's an awesome fantasy football team. Fecal gravity. Fecal gravity rolls downhill. Fecal gravity is good. When it rolls, when the shit rolls downhill, which is what he says to Mello at one of the uh, Lieutenant Mello at one of the Comstat meetings. And so he literally does that. He beats on the lieutenants so they can get their people in order. And Amsterdam actually has a chance of working. You have Kima who is hot on Marlowe's tail. And what does she discover? Stringer Bell coming down to the streets to meet with Marlowe, which she also shows McNulty, who is getting a bit discouraged that maybe he would never get Russell Stringer Bell until Kima's like, Oh no, no, no. Despite this legitimate front, he's trying to sell This motherfucker ain't no more legitimate than he was when we were trying to bring down the Barksdales. Um, Also, as I mentioned in that meetup with Marlo, Stringer is trying to offer him a seat at the Mm co-op table. And Marlo's looking at him this entire time like, fuck what you talking about? Right. (laughs) That that, that entire time, he's looking at them like that like, Mm -hmm. okay, all right. And Stringer's trying to appeal to him as a businessman. But Stringer, unfortunately, is the person who does not realize you're not dealing with right, a businessman. Yeah. All right. Okay. Uh, and then on the political front, we see Carcetti began to maneuver um, after reading the paper a witness was killed. And I think when we did a deep dive into his character, we talked about this is that yes, he's self-serving, but he has these moments where like he really sold that he cared about this witness that yeah. was killed. Yeah. He, as he said, fuck the politics mm-hmm. for once. Let's just deal with the fact that in this city where crime is an issue, you have people trying to have a better community by telling the police about the people who are trying to undermine the community and they wind up getting killed and that shit just can't roll. Um, So he goes to mayor Royce who we're going to talk about um, more in a second. And he tells him, Hey, you got witnesses being killed. What you going to do? And he promises to do something, pats him on the head, ushers him out the door and uh, that's an interesting situation to watch. We'll say that, um, but at the same time, Carchetti also spares Burrell some um, embarrassment when he gets his boy, like you said, that he leads around by the Johnson. Johnson I think that Johnson. Was a, yeah, so old school Johnson. Um, that he leads around by the Johnson. Anthony Gray gets him to hold back on Burrell, which I believe was strategic because he's trying to get Burrell in his pocket. Mm. And he told him, he's like, you tell me stuff, I'm going to look out. And so that is a relationship that definitely bears watching as the rest of the season continues. Uh, but for now, uh, let's dive deep into Mayor Royce, which the best scene <laughs> or one of the best scenes involving him hasn't quite even happened yet. Yeah. But he's somebody we want to take uh, a closer look at Um you know, Mayor Royce, I see him in many ways like I see a lot of uh, black politicians. And I think that was the point to make him kind of universal in that regard. Is, um, you know, I, I wouldn't say that he's like a, a Mary and Barry necessarily. And by the way, DC folks, this is not me talking shit about Mary and Barry. Because I know how you feel about yo it. ass up. not <laughs> talking shit about Mary and Barry and All right. So, right. not at all. But he does. There is a certain black political establishment. That is very prevalent in major cities like Baltimore, Detroit, Chicago. You see what it is. And all these mayors um, have uh, certainly they have an opportunity to serve the people, but oftentimes they wind up as we see Mayor Royce kind of starting to do or he is doing where their own survival begins to take precedent or begins to take priority over actual public wealth, public safety. You know, I I look at people like Mayor Royce, and I think to some degree, I said this about Karketty, and wonder, why did you get into politics? Mm -hmm. Like, I don't don't think most politicians understand that you have to have a servant's mindset to be in politics because it's public service, right? Mm -hmm. And yet they get there, and a lot of it becomes about survival. And Mayor Royce right now is just trying to survive. He's trying to He's putting undue pressure on Burrell to keep the murder rate down, but not necessarily giving him the resources to fix that. They're really good at telling people, or Mayor Royce is, I'll say, really good at telling people the problems they have and how they need to fix them and don't give them shit to fix them with. So, welcome to city government, all embodied in Mayor Royce. Uh,
0: yeah, he is as one dimensional a character as The Wire has. You don't get ever, what you get from Mayor Royce in every scene is consistent. For the entire time we see him uh, in the show. He never does anything that seems like it has any altruism in it. He never, to your point, never seems like he ever serves anyone but himself. Um, and he's almost flipping at the notion that he should be doing it the other way. You know, uh, when he, he laughs about, you know, going to get a real job, we see it as if what he's doing isn't a real job. We have already discussed that. He talks very openly about getting his, his uh, subordinates to do his bidding and not the bidding of the city. It's about who serves Mayor Royce and the people that are tethered to him around him to make sure that they stay in power and not really about affecting anything else. When he's talking to Burrell about crime numbers or anything, he's talking about Burrell's effect on crime in order to make him look good, so that Burrell can keep his job as commissioner, never
1: about the correct. Because nowhere in there did he say I want the city of Baltimore safer. He was just like, No, I need, I to, need look to look good, good.
0: and you got to take the you got to take
1: this you got to take L. this
0: L right. And so he, uh, as far the, the wire doesn't give you very many one dimensional characters, but when it does give you a one dimensional character, it gives you that character. To explore the dimensions of another character, and I think Mayor Royce serves to explore Tommy Carcetti. All right, I, he's a he's a foil, almost in a Hamlet type of way. I think it was Fortinbras and Laertes, or whatever they were, foils. Right, he's there so that we can look and see just how much more uh, Carcetti has in him. And I really do believe that because, you know, as far as Royce is concerned, he represents the political sort of archetype that you that you mentioned. And I am I'm gonna name a name and see if you think that Mayor Royce is because you mentioned a different city and I'm gonna mention a mayor from your city. Uh
1: oh <laughs> right. <laughs> right.
0: But uh but yeah. he's there to show what happens after someone has stopped caring. Uh, He is actually the average working American's political nightmare. Um, Hmm. He is the embodiment of someone who is drunk off power, can't live without it, and will do anything to make sure that he maintains it. Not evil, just apathetic. And I say this all the time. There's a certain level of power be it in a community or a country or in a corporation that apathy and uh incompetence are tantamount to evil it's all the same thing so if you don't care you can hurt as many people uh if you're mayor you don't care you can hurt as many people as if you were some evil dude trying to uh you know trying to affect their lives like a lex luther a sort of comic book villain now to this point when I see Mayor Royce, I don't necessarily see Marion Barry because Marion Barry had a long no. history of just making sure so many people in D.C. had what they needed, the youth, everybody. And as a civil rights leader, Marion Barry had a long and rich history. D.C., y'all schooled me. Y'all, I, like, I got it. Marion Barry, great man, great man. However, are there corollaries that you can make between Mayor Royce and Kwame Kilpatrick of Detroit, who ran Detroit? None
1: at all, none at all. And this is this is why. Uh, well, in one way, self-serving, yes, he was definitely self-serving. Um, but stylistically, they're just very mm-hmm. different. Uh, now, uh, Royce, Mayor Royce, Clarence Royce, is more of an old school politician. The mayor, he was actually trying to emulate to some degree, and he talked about this in Jonathan Abrams' book, All the Pieces Matter, is Kurt Schmoke, who is uh, the first black mayor ever elected in Baltimore. He was the 46th mayor of Baltimore and he was elected and he served from 1987 to 1999. Mm. And you know, uh, Glenn Turman, who plays uh, Clarence Royce, admitted that he took sort of tenets from Kurt Schmoke and brought them to the role uh, to make, um, you know, to just make a bit of a comparison. But he then added arrogance and self-serving nature and all those other Um. things. And he's like, I never got any of that from Mayor Schmoke. But he added those just to make the character have a little more depth. And I think, frankly, to be... Uh, the The intention of being one dimensional so that through that one dimension you can kind of see all of the city's problems and why they're in the situation that they're in as for Kwame Kilpatrick see here's the difference mm. is uh, as somebody who was a Detroiter during that time if you recall Kwame Kilpatrick I believe he was on the cover of Time or in Time right. magazine and they billed him the, the hip hop mayor player. the, mo- the hip hop mayor the moment I saw that I was like we <laughs> in fact. okay not that I have anything against hip hop, right? Not at all. But it's just that there are certain things you want your mayor to be known for. Certain things, and they were trying to fuse something that I didn't think quite fit. He basically is a young guy. He's one of the youngest mayors in the country at the time, if not. I think he was probably the youngest mayor. He's in his early 30s. Um, he was wearing them Steve Harvey specials. Always suits, had the suits. No room. less than no less than eight buttons, the Tracy McGrady special from back in the day. Um, And, uh, you know, he had the earring, the diamond earring or whatever. And it was like, and look, Detroiters still ride for Kwame Kilpatrick, despite the fact that he robbed us blind, hooked up all his friends. And look, that happens in politics. But if you're going to hook up your friends, can you not hook up the dumb Mm. friends? Can you hook up the the friends? Like you use the friends that actually have some actual ability that might help Mm -hmm. the city if they get a little something under the table i may not mind but i need them not to be dumb and so and in addition to hooking up some of his family um not to go too down or or, a rabbit hole but uh there i'm shocked that nobody's done a movie about kwame kilpatrick because there were some things that happened um the most infamous story that everybody in detroit knows about kwame kilpatrick is related to a party that he threw at the Manoogian mansion, which is the mansion where the mayor stays. And Kwame supposedly threw his this party. His wife was supposedly out of town. As urban legend goes, wife was at the airport, got wind of the party somehow, as she was about to take off to wherever she was going, circled back to the party where Kwame and his boys was getting buck wild in there. <laughs> there were strippers... There was all kind of foolish. You know how, suppo- like, the way Detroit people tell this story, what was happening in the Manukia mansion was very much like when Cuddy went to the whole house in the previous. <laughs> <laughs> that, like, that's how everybody said there was like strippers. It was like, it, was, it was the Vikings you know? boat trip
0: in the, the, the it was yes. the, the love boat in, in the, the mansion. Mayoral yeah. mansion.
1: Yes, that's why everybody tells the story. So supposedly, when Wifey arrived, all shit, uh, all shit just you know, broke loose. And there was supposedly a young lady who um, uh, who was, I guess, engaged with the mayor. And a fight broke out between the mayor's wife and this young lady. Now, the nefarious part about this is that same young lady who's, uh, I, I hesitate. I don't remember her real name, but her professional name was, was Strawberry. This young lady wound up dead literally not too long after this party took place nobody knows what happened to her what happened to her she was murdered on the street they have never it's a cold case they have never found who did it and there were police shell casings found at the scene that's all we know god yeah. damn oh it was some shit with Kwame. look Kwame did a lot of things in Detroit. I mean, he bought his wife a bread. I mean, that was the most. He was never directly linked to that, but like, come on, two plus. I mean, I'm not. It was like two plus two weeks before, so the conjecture around this case has been brewing forever. Uh, but he did a lot of stuff. I mean, he bought the bar out in D.C. Like he used to charge all kind of shit on on this company credit card or on the city credit card. One of which was uh, buying the bar out in D.C. He bought his wife a navigator on city money. And despite being a lawyer, Kwame Kilpatrick did not realize that text messages sent on city devices are you can uh you can FOIA them. You can use the Freedom of Information Act to get them. And I know people are like where is this going? So he wound up in jail because he was having an affair with his chief of staff who he went to college, or who he went to uh high school with and who was his best friend's wife.
0: All right? Can I just take an opportunity real quick to apologize to Mayor Royce? Yes, exactly. I was like, oh, no, no. <laughs> right, 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 right. This is a. This is a I, you disparaged
1: him, but you didn't even know it. I was like, oh, no, he was not Kwame Kilpatrick.
0: Mayor Royce gets a little jiggy later on. <laughs> he gets
1: a little jiggy. A little jiggy. He, he has he quite a,
0: a memorable scene later he on. He has a memorable scene later on, but nothing like this. Nah, we talking about. Nothing, like, I, like, I feel bad. I put Mayor Royce in. A figure-four leg lock, of fuckboyness that he really didn't deserve to be in. Now, I said that carchetti looks better up against Merrill Royce. Now Meryl Royce looks better up against Kwame Kilpatrick. Oh, much better. I guess wow. I- <laughs> Yeah, Yeah. but he
1: he got he got sent to federal prison where he still is. And he has been petitioning. Uh, He didn't go to jail for the affair because people have affairs. Um, But there was uh, him misusing city funds. Um, He tried to silence uh, the police, um, uh, the police chief at the time. It was it was either the police chief or or one of the heads of the police. He tried to silence them and he wound up getting because they found out about the affair that he was having with the chief of staff. If you hopefully it's online somewhere, I'll wrap this up by saying this is if you can, if y'all have just some extra time you want to kill, go back and read the text messages that were sent between Kwame Kilpatrick and his chief of staff. Her name is Christine Beattie. And let me tell you. I remember uh, I was working at the Free Press, the, the local paper at the time, when they got a hold of these text messages. And you want to talk about one of the funniest days in newsroom history. It was reporters reading these text messages. Oh, wow. <laughs> they oh, were wow. something. They were something. So, oh, Rob. Oh, so Rob. And in, 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 in trifling mayoral history, nobody, very few uh, are at the status of a Kwame, uh, Kwame Kilpatrick. He is Hall of Fame trifling. Okay. Yes. Hall of Fame. Yes, Royce.
0: Royce. I completely apologize comparing you to Kwame Kilpatrick. <laughs> you just, you don't care. Kwame Kilpatrick seemed like he was actually <laughs> the stereotype. He fits so many stereotypes, man. He, Why you? Do?
1: He did, man. Look, I remember. Again, <laughs> I, now I feel like uh, Van Lathan Sidebar. All right. God, the Sidebar. Went, I love it. I, re- I went to. Okay, this is. Let me just preface it by saying, not that it was ever acceptable. It should have not been acceptable after Aaliyah. So, you know whose name I'm about to mention, right? Yes. So, this is early 2000s, and I, me, and some friends of mine, we went to see um, a summer music festival. R. Kelly was one of the headliners, right? Mm-hmm. We go to this concert. You know, it's like R. Kelly, Nas, Mary J. Blige. Like, it's a crazy lineup. So, we go to this concert. We are able to get into a suite because I saw a friend of a friend. We got called up to the suite. All good. I look over, and there's the mayor in the suite next to us, and he just partying. He getting it in, and he, I mean, like he used to have <laughs> nights at the club. It would be like Kwame throwing a party, and it's just like, do I want my mayor to be doing this? Like, do I should I be gigging with my mayor? Like, that's I don't know about that. I mean, I ain't no stick in the mud. Don't get me wrong. Right. But understand, we were literally coming off of the previous mayor before Kwame Kilpatrick was basically Obama. Like, honestly, Dennis Archer. Like, he was very, like, charismatic, business-like, older, very mature, straight and narrow. Like, this dude was... And we go from that to hearing on the urban, uh, one of the top urban stations in Detroit every morning, hey, what's up, Detroit? This your mayor, Kwame Kilpatrick. I just want to <laughs> tell everybody. Like, literally, <laughs> he had a segment on the radio called Holla at the Mayor. Not Blake. Oh, my God. I love but it so it, much. But it, it, was, it was awesome, though, in a way, because, you know, these people who are not usually right. civically engaged, they would be like, hey, man, my trash ain't get picked up today. What you going to do about it? Exactly. <laughs> oh. Yes. Holla at the Mayor. Anyway. Now everybody has learned more about Kwame Kilpatrick than they but no, but very compelling story. One day, documentary or movie, trust me, it's coming. Right. Right. Um, but as for Mayor Royce, though, I, I'm, la- I'm glad that you hit on on his lack of dimensions, because mm-hmm. I think through him, um, and that's the, I know some people, they watch a series like The Wire, and they're super juiced about sort of the, the sexier elements, the Barksdale's, the drug game, the story that, is being told politically is more nuanced, mm-hmm. right? And Royce is a big part of that because David Simon is fixated, him and Ed Burns, on showing failures of system mm-hmm. and the political system to show that it's broken. You need somebody like Royce who is supposed to be emblematic of an urban mayor in a city with that is rife with these problems. Right,
0: right. Yeah, and it's, and it's very true because... In order to have a city in decline like that, you have to have people that adhere and believe in systems that aren't working anymore. And when you talk about reform, that's very important to discuss because a lot of times people get so entrenched into the nowness of their power and privilege, they don't see how the only way to maintain it is actually reform. You know, like banks in America and political power in America could actually run things for a couple of more generations if they were willing to let more people in but they have such fear of letting people in that it's going to result in them being dismantled by people forcing their way in i always i always look at that and i go yo why don't you just move with the times and realize that the way to maintain what it is that you have is by being using some finesse. And when when people like Royce get into positions and they think about them it would be better for Royce to actually if he was smart he would feign care and compassion and action on behalf of the people. He would like he would feign it. He would feign it even to to the people around him. But he is at this point so dug in uh, so arrogant and in many ways uh, so drunk with whatever he's been on for however long he's been on it, that he doesn't even see the need to bullshit people anymore. Yeah. I'm sure he bullshits them outside City Hall, but inside City Hall, he doesn't even see the need to bullshit his people and make them think about that, that it's about something other than what it is. And if you're going to be a politician – Bullshitting people into believing that you care about things uh, is very, very important. <laughs> and he just is not doing that anymore.
1: Well, one thing, let me ask you this question when it comes sure. to somebody like Royce, do you think they came in self-serving or did the job make them self-serving?
0: It's interesting. Cause it depends on like when they came in, right? Cause if you come in as a young idealistic city councilman, And, uh, you know, you're going to change things, whatever, whatever. That's one thing. But if you've been even in that system for too, too long, you might know how things work. But whatever he was when he got there, it got worse when he was there. So it, it didn't matter how far along he was. It definitely got worse when he got the top job. Because the moment you get the top job, this reminds me of something that Obama said. The moment that Obama was elected, right? This was very, it wasn't subtle, but it was very intentional by the ex-president. Obama was elected, and he had been talking about hope and change. You know, hope, change, hope, change. I hope that a drone doesn't fall on your head. Uh, he's been talking about hope and change. And then he says, um, when he was addressing people after he was elected, he says, Listen, it might not even, it might take more than one term. One of the first things he said, letting you know that everything that I promised is most likely going to take an eight-year fix. And he was right. In eight years, President Obama mostly fixed all of the problems that he came uh, into office facing when we talk about the economy and some other things like that you know um, but I remember watching that 28 year old uh, man going he's in and he's letting people know in a very honest way that I'm thinking about America but I'm also thinking about re-election mm-hmm. and that's kind of what politicians have to do like they 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 have to maintain power so it be, it co- it becomes about keeping it now even to me there's a way to like demonstrate to people or sell people on the idea that yo I'm trying to keep the power that I have in order to make sure that I get these things that I want to get done to the finish line but all too often it becomes about them holding on to it, doing whatever they need to do, and not about the people that rely on them.
1: Yeah, no, that's a good way to look at it, because you're right. I mean, you could come in with the most altruistic intentions, but especially, and I think this is something you pointed out about Carcetti is that like, it's one thing to believe that you are qualified to do a job. It's another thing to believe you're the only person person. who can Uh fix something. Right. And so at some point, I guess given the power that you do have um, that your maybe original desires become a little bit, you know, twisted because the fact is if you want to see any of the changes you want to implement, uh, you know, if you want to see those through, you, you have to spend a certain amount of time in office. And I'm sure, uh-huh. let them tell it, that time in office is, is infinite. You know? Yeah, that
0: little sign. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> All right. right? Like,
0: how long you want to be in office? Four years, eight years? No, I want to be there. Like, yeah, the little precisely. Infinite, infinite I mean, sign. hell, yeah. I'm
1: sure if he could have, though I don't know, given the fact that, Michelle Obama seemed to be done with the White House. But if it were possible, hell, I'm sure Barack Obama might have ran for another term if it were possible.
0: I wish it were. (laughs) But at the the same time, there is a lot of evidence to the fact that they might have been over. But, yeah, uh, Royce isn't any of these things. Royce is a guy that at this point is all about him.
1: Yeah, it's all about him. And he's just trying to get out of this what he could get. Uh, he's trying to he's he more, more or less the civic duty that he performs is uh, performative. In fact, that's probably right. the word that I would use. It's, it's not necessarily coming from a place of like wanting Baltimore to be decent. He just wants to look good, um, you know, and pretend he's working when he's actually not working. So um, right. that's a uh, lovable Mayor Royce. Speaking of or before we get to best scenes, uh we have a new character that's on the scene. I don't think they say anything in this episode, but we see Chris Partlow, who mm-hmm. uh, is a major figure in the wire over the remainder of the series. Um, they call my, him out. Yeah, they called him out. Yes, but uh, I'm just saying that, like we, he didn't speak. I don't think he said. Oh anything. no, he didn't speak. Yeah, yeah Bubbles
0: didn't. put a, Bubbles put him on, and then Bubbles like, put, put, but, yeah, yeah, Bubbles
1: put him on. Bubbles told Kima about him. Like, so yeah. And just to jog people's memory, because I think this was a trivia nugget I tossed out before, so it bears repeating. He was in the very first episode of The Wire. He was one of the bailiffs. Mm. So if you go back and look, you will see Chris Partlow. Mm. All right, now let's get to some of your favorite scenes in this episode, Van. What do you got? Oh,
0: my God. Like, listen, here's the thing, guys season three is so good that. the favorite scenes thing is getting tough. It really <laughs> You can't is narrow them down, tough. huh? Yeah, okay. So, obviously, I love McNulty and String. Yes. Love it. At the printing shop. At the printing shop. Love McNulty and String. Stringer, when he sees like an. Stringer gets this little thing. It's great acting by Idris Elba. When Stringer is talking to uh, a member of the Barcel organization his eyes are a very distinct way. They're wide open. They're kind of, but when he's talking to a cop, he always does this slow burn back of the eyelid type of deal. Mm. It's like, like this thing to where it's almost, he looks at McNulty with, I fucked your girl's eyes.
1: That's he, actually yeah. a very accurate description because Stringer is so smug in this right. movie. Oh my God. <laughs> he is pulling out, he pulled out the, he hit him with the legitimate flex. That's what he right. hit him with. With the legitimate right. flex. I was like, yeah. yes. But yes, you're totally right. He is giving him that, yes. Yeah, well, I, unless I he would have almost... given D'Angelo had he still been alive about Donette.
0: <laughs> right, right. So He gives him the eye for it. And it's a back and forth because this is a situation where McNulty knows that Stringer fucked his girl, right? He knows he's a criminal. He just can't prove. That he fucked his girl, which is almost so, more torturous, right? Almost, almost. It is definitely more torturous. Yeah. It's a thousand percent more torturous. So they're going uh, back and forth right there with that kind of burn at the bottom of it. It's actually fantastic, and I love. No, that it's so a great scene so, so
1: because when I mean, because Stringer does two things in this scene to just be a complete asshole. Um, he when he hands him his business card, that's what. Because he's like, not only am I so legit, I'm so legit, you could call me. You ain't even got to right. tap my phone because here's yeah. my number, right? Uh-huh. And then the second flex is when he offers to get him into a condo or downtown apartment. I was like, right. wow, Stringer.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. You want something? You, we got a lot of coming up. Lofts. Great. Like, come live in my domain. You, <laughs> he's like, you could write a check to me every month. How about that? Exactly. Okay. So, um... A couple other scenes I love. Obviously, Avon's party is a fantastic scene. Well, Hate <sighs> hey, sis. Oh, man. I just wish I wasn't the only one coming home, you know? I know. Enjoy tonight. We'll talk later. Welcome, Welcome home. What up, prop? How you feeling, man? All right. You looking fit. Hell yeah, I've been working out in there. That's all you're going to do is work out. Might be a good place for a fat man to find his inner self. (laughs) It's a fantastic scene just because it shows the way these guys celebrate, but it also shows the world that Avon is dropping back into. Avon hasn't been gone quite as long as Cuddy. So it's different, right? It's different when Cuddy comes back than when Avon comes back but he's been gone long enough to be behind. He's been gone long enough not to recognize things. Who are these guys I'm having the sit down with? I recognize you, Levy, but why am I talking to Clay Davis? Why am I talking to this other guy? Why are the guys there uh, in, in the party getting high? It's enough that Avon for the first time seems and feels out of place. And you know from that scene, that party scene, that what he is going to do, the first thing that he is going to do is make sure that he can recreate his organization as he sees it. He is going to give it a facelift because it's now Stringer's organization. Avon don't like that.
1: No. Uh, no. And that's, and you know, out of sorts is is definitely one description, though. I would say the other part, It's um, kind of like, I guess, if you let somebody house sit at your place and you Mm -hmm. come back and they done move some shit around. Because the thing is, even though he gave permission in jail for Stringer to operate as he sees fit, he never considered the operation to be Stringer's. So in his mind, he just got to come in and correct a bunch of shit. You know, because when he points out, um, their names are Gerard and Sapper, and I had to look that up. Um, right. Them being high in the party, because if everybody remembers from season one, one of Avon's rules: don't get high. He didn't allow right. any of his people to get high, and so this indication of 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 a little recklessness, of a lack of discipline, because he's like, what does he say? He's like, where's the discipline? Where's the discipline? And that means a lot to Avon, and already he sees a violation. He ain't been home ten minutes, and he sees a uh-huh. violation. And yeah. then to not only uh, do that, but then you bring in these, uh, you know, these white folks up at his party. They like, oh, we try to have a business meeting. Like, I just yeah, yeah, got yeah, home. Yeah. He trying to hear none of that. So it, right. it just, it's a combination of being out of sorts and yet feeling the need already. He's like, oh, so I see. They didn't let shit get way out of hand up in here. So it, it. it's interesting.
0: It. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So two more real quick. Uh, Stringer and Marlowe, Stringer once again demonstrating that he's a D2 player. <laughs> yes. because, uh, I know. <laughs> and I, want, I want to shout out Bomani Jones because Bo hit me up. Uh, Bo, you and you and Bo connected um, in your hate for Stringer. Bo hit me up. Bo, Bo was the Bo, one, Bo, by the
1: way, I've said this many times on the podcast, Bo was the one who converted me. So it wasn't just the connection. Right.
0: Bo converted me
1: because I was where you are. And then I saw the light.
0: So Bo, you're telling me that Bomani is the David Koresh of Stringer hate. <laughs> He like he 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 like Bamani is the David Koresh of Stringer Hate. He is the white snake listening former musician who is who is who is the head of the cult of Stringer Bell Hate. Shout you out to You just haven't Bimani.
1: seen the light. It's okay.
0: Right. No, <laughs> I'm not gonna see it. I'm not gonna see it. Uh, uh, <laughs> the um, doors of the church uh, are always open. Don't worry. Right. Um, and then the last one is one of the most important scenes in this or any other episode of The Wire. And it's not one that people think about a lot, but it's a very important scene. When Marlo flexes on the cops. Okay. So I'll tell you why this is such an important scene. The Stansfield organization is different. Marlo was willing at that one moment to give it all up. All of it. For his rep and his name. Like it, it the, the, the cops come to talk to Avon or Stringer they probably gonna go talk to him most likely go see what they're talking about Marlo is not going they were ready to fuck Carver and Herc up they were ready to beat the shit out of them there's no way out of that situation for them they beat those cops up. Even if they kill them, they died right there. The entire police force is going to be on Marlowe, be on the Stansfield, and that's probably the end of the drug dealing operation right there. If the cops survive, they definitely are going in, right? They got the head of the organization right there. None of it mattered. Marlowe Stansfield is willing to die, to kill, and take anybody else out, don't matter who it is for his reputation at any moment of the day, anytime right there. They were getting ready to fuck up the police, something that we hadn't really seen. Right. We saw Dozerman catch one, but even that was at night with a unnamed assailants, number one male, whatever you want to call it, whatever racist propaganda that they're propagating down there in the police department. But, this was about to happen, a beatdown to the police in broad daylight, ordered by the number one. The number one guy is there. That's not Chris. That's not Snoop. That's not Fruit. That's not any subordinates. The number one guy is there. That's a very important defining scene to me about how, who Marlowe is and how he looks at the world.
1: Yeah, no, that's a, uh, I could not agree more. But you know who else is a defining scene for? It's for Herc and Carver. Because yeah. there is a, um, it's very clear that one of them is on board with this new world order that Bunny Coven is trying to push, and one of them is not. Because Herc still wants to do shit the old way. Carver still does too, but you see he's starting to come around just a little bit. Herk is much more vocal about his displeasure. He just wants to basically crack heads, bother the fuck out of people and throw them into jail for dumb shit. Like, he lives for that. And he would like nothing better than to bust Marlo's head wide open, but because he lacks general awareness, he does not even understand the danger they're in in that scene. Carver does, which is why he peeps my man reaching for the bat. And it's interesting, too, because and it should let you know the kind of person that you're dealing with with Marlo, Marlowe, his, he was prepared to beat the cops down. He wasn't going right. to shoot him. The beat right. down is way more hurtful in some respects because it's going to be mm-hmm. prolonged and way more violent. And right. that tells you everything about who he is and how his crew gets down. Like yeah. even with the Barksdale as notorious as they may be, there's a boundary. They know not to cross with the police. Marlo clearly doesn't have that, and so Don't care. yeah, he doesn't care. So that makes him something um, you know a little different. The scene that Stringer and McNulty is one, but I think the string, the uh, the scene rather that Stringer and Avon have when they're discussing their dreams when they were younger.
0: Yo, you you remember when we used to sit on the top of seven thirty four building, man, looking at the city? You talk about what we gonna do? And he was all heavy into that Black Pride bullshit. Talking like you gonna get you two grocery stores and make motherfuckers proud. Sure was, man. You was out hunting on an AK-47. Talking about I'ma go get Warren. (laughs) Man, we brothers, B. Always, baby. Always.
1: When he shows, yep. you have uh, that the, down. Yep. Okay, so yep. when he shows Avon this brand new one of them downtown apartments, he was about to sell McNulty apparently. When he uh-huh. he's got this all laid out, and I think in that point, at that point, you know, Stringer's sort of looking for a little bit of gratitude because he's like, "Oh,
0: I held it down. I held
1: it down. He, you came out much better than when you went in." Uh-huh. From that standpoint, right. but it was interesting to see how they both characterize what they were like when they were younger. His wife always thought a great prequel would be about how the Barksdales became the Barksdale clan that went on to run the city. And uh, the fact that Avon reminds Stringer that he used to be on some black power shit and that uh, Mm -hmm. he wanted to own grocery stores and all Avon wanted to do was own an AK-47. So this sort of flies in the face of this idea that prison and or certain things kind of changed who they were and they grew apart. No, they were never on the same page. But it's just that right. I think Stringer was not as dead set on doing things a certain way. His vision wasn't what it is then, but they were clearly just by that one example, they were never on the same page. Avon was always here for the gangster shit and Stringer was always there for the business shit.
0: Well, yeah, also it all it 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 also shows you that Avon's scope is, has always been narrow, and Stringer's scope has always been wide. Like Black Pride, Black Pride and Black Power is a huge, huge, huge ocean of ideas, right? What Stringer is looking at in terms of the world and expanding in, in business and all of this—this this is all these all of these are big concepts. He wants to be a part of something larger and exist in it, And in that, there's probably safety for Stringer, right? their safety in going legit because you can get money from all of these different streams. Avon's uh, focus is very narrow. He cares. Because it's only one thing he knows how to do. It's only one thing he knows knows how to do and one thing he cares about doing.
1: But you know the scene it reminded me of? It reminded me of New Jack City when Nino and G-Money, I think they're in the club, and Nino's like, when he's that's when he does that am i my brother's keeper and they just they pledging love Mm -hmm. to each other and he was like we ain't going out like pussy and blackie out there getting killed over a five dollar bag like that ain't gonna be us them hopes and dreams is real Mm -hmm. high and i was like you know what that should have been the indication beware them sentimental scenes between friends that are drug dealers that shit don't never never work out
0: or 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 uh tony and manolo You know what I mean? Like Manolo, uh, Manolo think, it's so crazy. Manolo thinks like, Manolo thinks it's all about them, but it ain't. Manolo's like, aren't I your partner? And Tony's like, fly, pick and fly. Like, it's amazing. Like, this is what I love about that scene in Scarface. Do you know how Manolo should have known that he really wasn't Tony's 50-50 partner? It's because he's talking to Tony as Tony is bathing in a gigantic tub. That tub was that tub is so amazing. Like you, you, you don't talk to your partner as your partner is bathing. You talk to your partner when you guys are somewhere in the meeting on equal footing, you're talking to a guy telling him you're gonna set something up as he's bathing, smoking a cigar and arguing with his wife. Fam, you second string. You know what I'm saying? Like, oh you know. Right. Yeah. No. He was treating him like. Right, exactly. I mean, he was treating so him like that that's got yeah, all these so- scenes. Drug dealers at the top of organizations. Don't bring your best friend with you. It's not going to end up well.
1: No, it, it literally never right. works out. Not at all. A couple other uh, funny scenes. Uh, you alluded to it at, at the top. When Stringer snatched that notebook from Shamrock at yeah. the co-op, he was like, "Niggas, you taking notes on a criminal fucking conspiracy?" Yeah, I think that's the funniest line Stringers right. ever had, ever. Right, he's got a lot of of good lines, but like that one, a combination of like realization and funny, it was unbelievable, and it uh, it was amazing. And, and, and to go back, if people remember when they were having the little quorum mm-hmm. meeting at the mm-hmm. funeral home, Shamrock was reading a book about the rules of being a parliamentarian. Right. <laughs> so he tried to he own right. his job. Look, Stricker forever telling them to level up. Well, he lovely. Yes. Okay, he Shamrock trying to do what he can do. Shramrock is trying to level Mm -hmm. up. And that's why Stringer's a fuckboy. He don't even respect hustle. He don't respect somebody trying to move ahead and better themselves. Don't even respect it. Um, Another funny, uh, or two other funny scenes when Cuddy was copping the clean pee off the street, and my man said, I get mine from daycare. (laughs) Like, really, Mm -hmm. dog? Uh, and also, when Buddy was confronting the lieutenants and he told them, it's going to be some biblical shit that happens to you on the way to right. jail. I was like, right. damn, <laughs> like, biblical, right. biblical right. dog. Like, it's got to be that. Um, so, yeah, I'm with you. It's like uh, season three as it powers on. It's just you can list off like 15 scenes in any mm-hmm. episodes that are just so rich and and so rewarding. Um, all right, Van, for you. What in this episode aged the best? The Xbox. Oh Jimmy, yeah, Jimmy yeah, and
0: and his kids playing the Xbox. When the Xbox first came around, it was seen as a as a um, as a pretender to the console throne. People were excited about it, but it's not going to last. Look at this. I'm talking about right here. Look at that age, like fine wine. wine. Now that they got the big Xbox controller, I'm flexing right here. The small Xbox controller. I'm not being paid for this. I play it all the time. I play Madden against guys. Beat the shit out of me all the time. That age well, and also just uh, frustration with youth and incompetence aged pretty well. Shamrock, the two knuckle, everybody. They're all so incompetent. I feel like I feel like that's a disservice to Shamrock, though. I mean.
1: He trying to do shit the the orderly way, and you know, unless he was writing
0: down uh fifty fifty bags of coke to Fat Tony. You know what he was like writing I, down? He was writing <laughs> down the future evidence on a RICO statute. Like, like the, he's bring he's writing the RICO. Like they got a criminal conspiracy going on. Like that's exactly what happened to the mafia. Like he's writing the RICO. They got everything they need for the RICO. Right there in those, because yeah, of shamrock. like the like shamrock. <laughs> Quit it, like that's they invented the Rico statutes for that. Like, like no, he's new.
1: He's new to this parliamentary Whatever.
0: thing. you know? he's So that those are the things that age the best for me. What about you? Uh,
1: for me, what ages what will always be timeless is distri- descriptive nicknames, particularly with people who have the same name. Like, if you have a friend group and you know six mm-hmm. Mics, right? How do you differentiate the mics? It's by some descriptive yeah. term. And we saw this when Bunk, who's still trying to find Dozer's men's gun, he goes to jail, and the one dude he talks to is like, wait, I think it was Dink. Flat-nosed Dink? No, nah, it wasn't him. Dink, Dink. Like, yeah. he's going through, like, 75 mm-hmm. different Dinks, yeah. right? Okay? True. <laughs> and And that shit, like, look, if you know six Keishas, it's going to be like, no, oh, big, big booty, booty Keisha. Keisha. No, long yep. neck Keisha. Big lip Keisha. It's going to be something. Keisha Keisha right? with the light eyes. <laughs> Keisha with the mm-hmm. light eyes. Let's go. Like, I feel like we all know about 75 yeah, Keishas, yeah. right? Or, again, Mike's. No, not Mike. Mike Mike. Little Mike. Big Mike. Strong Mike. Like, it's always yeah. something. That never. Or Reggie. Reggie's yeah. another one. Everybody know about a, a right. billion Reggies. No, big Reg. nose Reggie. No, Reg. this Reggie's or like. Reg. Or oh, Reg. Reg. You know Reg. It's not Reggie. It's Reg. Reg. You know what I'm
0: right. saying? Yep, it's
1: true. Correct. Yep. That ages like fine mm-hmm. line. descriptive names of people with common Stranger. names. Um uh anything I didn't point, I didn't have anything that aged the worst for me. What about you?
0: Uh number one, this this comes this is straight this is straight best buy knowledge. When Avon gets home, in his room is like a thirty five inch flat screen tube TV. Remember those? Good catch. Flat screen tube yeah, TV. Yeah, good catch. The, like when you would come to Best Buy, we'd always try to get you to get the the plasma, but if we couldn't get you to get the plasma, I would tell you about the flat screen tube TV. Heavy as hell. Uh, the, the like super heavy to carry. Um, Avon has one of those. Those aged terribly. The 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 flat panel televisions got so cheap that they they they, they kicked them out of the market.
1: I was say, can you imagine what what Stringer about to pay for that right. TV? Like my first flat, like the first flat screen I had was like three grand. It
0: was like it unbelievable. Was in the, in, in it was Buy, ridiculous. And Best Buy, we had a plasma, a Mitsubishi plasma inside of Best Buy. It was $10,000. It was $10,000. I remember I sold one one time, Jamel. I was the fucking man. I was the <laughs> man. I, I sold it. I put the product, I put the, um, the, 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 what was it, the PPR on it. I had the, the monster power cables. I had the whole deal. I was like literally like a $17,000 sale. I was the fucking man home theater. And y'all, y'all don't get commission, right? Y'all didn't no, get I commissioned. No, I got a pat on the back.
1: Uh, <laughs> way to do, way it, for to the do team, it for the man. team, uh, Throwback jerseys. Yeah, my man with the bullets jersey. Bullets jersey, yeah, yeah
0: the bullets jersey,
1: and it's like it's like a it's like a dress. Yeah. like it's so right. long. The
0: throwback jersey.
1: I mean, well, I guess that's something that aged the worst is is bullets.
0: The bullets, the the no bullets. bullets. There you go. Don't exist, Don't exist anymore. And I'll tell you this: I thought that this was funny to me, and I'm going to point to the moment that this didn't age well. Getting pee. For your drug tests, Didn't age well. And I'm going to tell you. Who fucked this up. Okay. You used to be able to back in the day. Get the clean pee. And do exactly as Cuddy did. Which I'm sure you can still do in some places. But the man that ruined. The clean pee revolution. Was Minnesota Vikings running back. Ontario Smith. When he got busted. With the Wizinator. That story went crazy, and I remember a homeboy of mine who was trying to get a job at this place back in Baton Rouge. Shout out to Baton Rouge, as always, called Convergence, which was a telemarketing place. He was trying to get a job there, and I was gonna tell him, I was "Like yo, you're gonna have to, you know, piss in uh, the thing and everything like that." You know what the thing? And after the Whizinator, they changed their policy on how you had to take the drug test. There had to be somebody in the room with you while you were taking the drug test. And a person, I don't know if it was lab core or whatever, would kind of just sit right there. Ontario Smith ruined being able to use the clean pee like that in a lot of places, man
1: imagine that i mean it, look so ahead of his time and <laughs> so far ahead of his time that unfortunately it ruined it for everybody remember and i don't i'm not saying i know a lot about this but remember what was it golden seal that was yep. the other one that people mm-hmm. used to do <laughs> i think that i think he he put them out of business too like How i don't know if people damn
0: ontario still, smith I
1: don't, <laughs> I don't know if golden seal is still a thing anymore uh great observation for what age the worst um so although I put it out, you know, sort of one-stringer bell fuckboy boy moment him hating on Shamrock's progress. Why was he wearing a tuxedo at Avon's Avon's party? Come on, it's a party.
0: Like, why, why
1: was he wearing a it's tuxedo? A party. It's always somebody that's doing it's extra. Was anybody else in a tuxedo? No, that, that, I didn't see no it's tuxedos. It's a
0: party,
1: just, man. Even Avon who just like if Avon has on a tuxedo fresh out the pen, I get it. My man ain't wore nothing but the the county blues. In a couple years. And even his ass didn't have on a tuxedo. But there's your man's looking like a black Fred Astaire <laughs> with his little tuxedo.
0: Okay? It's a, it's That's a, your a, boy. It's a celebration, man. Let this man get dressed. You know, Sugar. This ain't black you know, tie? Sugar, he got this party right you know in the hood. Can't do <laughs> he can't do nothing. He can't win with you. He can't better himself with education. He can't get dressed up. He <laughs> no. He can't eat healthy. No, he cannot. Because Stringer,
1: Stringer is a coastal elite, and I'm not here. How could he be? A, but he's a
0: coastal <laughs> elite, yet he's going to community college, man. Coastal okay. elite. <laughs> see, I, I, he, he, <laughs> see, he wasn't always obviously
1: this way. Um, but he clearly, once he got a little bit of taste of Buddy oh, he he just had to make sure that he shows is he's better than everybody in every situation. Everybody have a good time partying. Eight mile back with his people. What? He couldn't have that business meeting any other time. He, he had to invite him tough. there. Like really? My man just got out of tough. jail and here you come with your tuxedo, tuxedo. On him. just dancing for tough the man, dancing for so the man.
0: So tough on him.
1: And I ain't letting up either, particularly <laughs> not in this <laughs> season. Um, all right, so I'm sure you probably have a ton of file this away for later. So what were some of yours? Uh, yeah,
0: a couple of them. Man. Um, the New Day Co-op is a big file yep. this away for later moment. The beef between, the face-off between Marlo and Hurt, that's a big file this away for later That's a big right one. Because what did he say to him? Like, remember, remember my, my face, face, cocksucker? cocksucker. Yeah. Uh, Mark it down. Write it down. <laughs> the scene that you had is one of your best scenes between Avon and Stringer. I have as a father's away for later when they're reminiscing kind of um, when they're, w- when they're d- doing that entire thing, that's a huge father's away for later. Uh It's both a father's away for the past and a father's away for later because it's showing the way the, the divergence in their mindsets uh, was always there and letting you know that that's not the last time we're going to see that particular scene. It just feels like it felt like, that we're going to get a replay of that scene at some point. Um, and we might just, Hmm. uh, yeah, no, I mean, it, it, they've laid
1: a, a good foundation and continue to lay the foundation between how these different philosophies, um, and their different mentality as opposed to how to, uh, approach the organization, how that winds up kind of playing off. They're, they're laying the foundation just as we speak. Um, uh, The fact that Levy was uh, connected with Clay Davis to me is a father's away for later. Um, You know, him being at that meeting, he wasn't just at the meeting because he is the attorney for both String and Avon. Mm -hmm. Uh, He's got some skin in this development game and that bears paying attention to. Um, uh, Also, I would say uh, Cuddy meeting Deacon Melvin. Okay, for sure. That's Uh, a huge one. I can't believe I missed that one. Yeah, that's a big one. Uh McNulty, um uh adding to his body count with Terry D. Agostino. I uh, don't know if I pronounced mm-hmm. that yeah. Her. Um and uh Avon, him meeting with Levy Clay Davis and developer, that's a and the developer, that's a very interesting meeting. Because from that you you see Avon's general attitude toward pursuing being a businessman. Mm-hmm. And that's a file that's a away from Larry. He could not be less interested. And um, it's not just because he's at a party and he just got home. It's more to it than that. He's literally bored right. by them. He's, he's, and he just he's finds this to be jugg- Juggling his hard hat.
0: Literally amusing yes. himself by juggling his hard hat.
1: Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah. correct. Um, uh, Bunk's pursuit of, of, of Tasha's yeah. death. Is a a big one too, um, and you know we talked about this when it happened. I didn't. I don't, and I don't know how I missed it because they clearly talk about it. Is I totally missed that Dante was the one they that killed. Keep, Tasha. And it's,
0: it's so I'm so. And they referencing they, it. I was like, they how did I keep miss it? Referencing that is the main. Yes. Um, what's the other girl's name? Uh, Kimmy. Kimmy. That is the main source yep. of animus of the between beef. him and Kimmy. And I cannot, i don't know why, never but in, my in mind, life, I had it totally. Yeah, I've never in life, like, we should do a segment called How Did I Miss That? Because seriously, I've never in life, all the times watching The Wire, picked up on that ever. I know she was calling them like, like she was calling them a, 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 like a coward and all of that, but I've never, ever, ever picked up on that. I'm such a dummy. I'm so stupid. <laughs> well, I'm I'm right there with you because I didn't
1: either, and maybe I think in my mind I interpreted it as her just being upset that they were kind of uh, caught off guard and and they weren't necessarily ambushed because they knew that the uh, that uh, that they had heat, they knew stringers people had heat, so it's not like they didn't see it coming, but I just never caught the fact that the the beef between the crew started because Dante had accidentally killed Tasha. So, um, and Buck in this episode, he finds out that basically he had Tasha pegged as an innocent bystander when she was in the mix of everything that happened. And he kind of learns this, um, now to some trivia, um, got a little bit, uh, concerning your boy, uh, Preston, one Preston Bodie Mm -hmm. Brodus. So his last name, as many people who are hip hop fans know that is also Snoop's now, last name. And this was intentional because apparently at the time, David Sammy was listening to a, a lot of West coast rap. And one of his favorite songs was Jen and juice. So he is literally named after. Wow. Snoop. Yes. That is how he conceived that um, last name for Bodie. Um, and Bodie, by the way, is a based off a real character, uh, real uh, not a real character, a real dope dealer in Baltimore named Nathan, named Nathan Barksdale. And this is hence how they got building out an entire organization uh, after the Barksdale. What's interesting um, also along those same lines is, so Bunny's right-hand man in uh, the police department in this series is Lieutenant Mello. Guy with glasses, you see him all the time. There was a lot of the police, he's a real police officer, that he's actually Jay Landsman. That's who he right. is in real life. And so there was a lot of tension because many of the cops that David Simon and Ed Burns involved in this series did not like the fact that in the writing and the storytelling, they were trying to redeem many of these uh, characters that they, many of these people they knew on the street and make them into better people when they sort of uh, put their character together for the show. Because... From the cop standpoint, like, we know who these people are on the street. street. There was no redeeming them as far as they're concerned. And so one of the people who was very opposed to the character of of Melvin Williams, who is Deacon, was Dennis Mello, uh, who is, you know, again, uh, Bunny Colvin's right-hand man. Um, What he said about him, because Melvin Little is who Avon Barksdale really is. So the guy who's playing Deacon, that's Avon Barksdale in real life. And he said about Melvin, he said, I never liked Melvin. And he also didn't like Nathan Barksdale, who is who Bodie is playing. He called them both scumbags. And he also hated the guy that Cuddy is playing. Mm. Cuddy is playing. His real name is Dennis Wise. Dennis Wise was a real person. And in real life, Dennis Wise had a motto that was two to the head and you're dead. That was his motto. And according to uh, uh, um, Dennis Mello, um, or I'm sorry, the real Jay Lansman, a.k.a. Dennis Mello, he hated that storyline because the idea of him eventually, what Cuddy becomes, what he finds to be his passion, he found that to be awful because it flo- it flew in the face of what they actually knew about the character. So I didn't realize this, is that a lot of the real-life cops— who were on the show as actors and consultants, they did not like many of the character arcs with the known criminals because they felt like it was a misrepresentation of who they actually Mm. were.
0: Interesting. Yeah, and we we talked about that before with sort of um, the whole situation to where how Ed Burns could spend all his time trying to lock a guy up and then put him on the show. But I guess they have uh, Simons and Burns, Simon and Burns, they have a, a different view of the street and even some of the uh, even the atrocities that these guys might have committed, in terms of being part of a broken system. And they're they're to their word yeah. as far as that that, that that that's concerned.
1: Now, the one person that uh, that Jay, the real Jay Landsman, had a lot of favorable words for is the character that Omar is based mm. off, um, Dottie. Right. Um, and he was like, he was a great guy, and he believed in his his uh, transformation. But these other cats. He, uh, not so much in his mind. And he, uh, the Cuddy storyline, he really hated. Mm. Um, So uh, that moves us on now to who won the episode? You're going to love it. Uh Uh-oh. Which means I'm going to hate it. You're going to
0: love it. Stringer Bell. Stringer Bell. You just couldn't it. S-B. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) SB. Won the episode. You know, he
1: gives Avon a couple, you know, he, he, get, he hooks him up with a threesome on his first night out, and then he, he got to win the episode. Win huh? the episode.
0: <laughs> Your man, he got his man <laughs> a condo in his name. Got his man, uh, got, he took care of his homie. Is This is a heavy Stringer episode. As heavy heavier episode for Stringer as what we're saying. And I want to put something else out there. What Stringer is doing with the New Day co-op as much crap as Stringer has been getting for you, for all these ideas, the reality is this. As far as his ideas being the right ideas, Stringer Bell is in his bag in season three. He is. The, the, the co-op was, in fact, the right way to go. It would have it meant less violence. If Marlo would have joined the co-op, there would have been no wire. We wouldn't have had the wire would be over if Marlo. I I like to envision a wire where I love doing this because they did this in that movie uh, Vice, which was good. They did this weird ending. Did you ever see that? They did this. They I did a weird so. ending where like it ends happily and like like Dick Cheney does all of these good things and then the credits roll and they come back and that's not the way it really ended. But <laughs> I like to think that I like to envision where Stringer goes up. Uh, Stringer talks to, to Marlo and Marlo goes, you know what? You right, Stringer. I never told you this, but I always wanted to be like y'all. I look at you as kind of like, like a father figure because my real dad wasn't around. Then Stringer looks at Marlo and then Marlo looks at Stringer then they shake hands and do a bro hug. And Stringer says, Marlo, I'm going to always be there for you. <laughs> your, the rewrite. Real dad by Van dad might have not been around. But as long as I'm here and there's breath in my body and a heart in my chest, I'll play that role. They shake hands, hug, wire over. Like, literally, wire done. The credits roll right there. And then in a post-credit scene, it shows Marlo, Stringer, and Avon all toasting while Omar is looking outside the window like this. Like, you know, like and then, you know, whatever. And that's it. It's over. Because if that happens, it's over. They, all the drugs in Baltimore, they like Stringer and them getaways, but whatever. So Stringer was right. But it's Marlowe and the Jamel Hills of the world just won't come along and go along with him. So that's what that's, that's
1: that. that, I I didn't say his idea didn't have merit. Okay. What I'm saying is he made, he he does come up with good ideas, but his execution is poor and he often misses the obvious obvious. Okay. Mm -hmm. He should have known Marlo wasn't with the plan because one thing we see it right away in this, in this episode when they meet, soon as they meet, he's talking all that good game and like, how would you feel about getting stuff in your name? You ain't got to have, have somebody else's name, blah, 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 blah. And all this, what does Marlo do? As soon as he goes, Hey, Chris, we need to mount up. base." He tells Marlo that they need to, they need to right stop up.
0: It's, it's, it's not right, away. <laughs> right away. Right <laughs> away.
1: It's time for war. It's like it's somebody who got the corners the way that he did. You think he want to hear some reason? You think he want to hear about a co-op? You know, and and, in a way, this is basically a window into our political system, right? There are some people in our country who don't want to share. They don't want to be a part of a co-op, right? And there are other people who are totally fine with us having more of a sense of community, even though the community is a better model, I didn't say the stringers plan. I mean, it's a better idea because you get less heat from the cops. You're working together, pooling your resources. Always a good idea, but that's not how the world works. And definitely not how the game works. And Marlo is like, Oh, that's great. But I, I put too much into this to just willingly hand you guys, my resources. And when I feel like I could just take you all over, (laughs) right? do it myself so uh yeah good plan, stringer but as always bad bad execution for me the winner of this episode is Kima because look McNulty was about to after being completely flexed on by stringer in the printer shop he was like fucking depressed after that he's just like i'll be damned Mm You know, uh, he's talking to Freeman. He's just like, man, look, I ain't shit I can do about it. Shows him his card. He's just like, this dude is too legit. I ain't got nothing on him. I got nothing. And then Kima saves the day. She saves the day by tracking, doing some police work of her own, showing that McNulty and Freeman, they ain't the only brainiacs in the crew. Now, of course, she owes Bubbles a lot of this reason <laughs> because Bubbles, Bubbles was the real mastermind behind all this because he was the one that told Kima about Partlow, helping her put more, um, gave him more information about Marlo so she can begin tracking him. Speaking of which, I find that Kima's negotiating is a little distasteful with Bubbs. She, she stands you, man. you. She's taking advantage of a drug addict. She, well, okay. Let's just put that part aside, right? Be- beyond that. But if you think about the premium, the value of the information being offered five dollars. Yo, bu- Bubs needs a Bub union rep. A union rep. I'm serious. Like a, he needs a union rep. Because he sh- needs a Snitches union rep. Because the way she doing them is kind of dirty. Andy. I mean, if she get he giving her locations, he giving her license plate numbers five dollars. No. Like nah, it's not, it's
0: not gonna
1: work. Mm-mm. It's not. It's not right. Bubbles' work needs to be better appreciated. I agree. Yeah, so I th- that that to me is a major downside uh, of, of her interaction with Bubs. I, I feel like she does not value and respect his work. Bubs needs to renegotiate his contract. But she definitely won with her detective work. Uh, anywho, well, that is going to do it for us. Thank you guys for, uh, again, checking out The Wire with us and with this rewatch. And we appreciate all the feedback that you give us. Um, we will be back for episode mm. six. Man, I, I tell you, this season three is Fly flying by. by. It is literally flying by. Episode six, which is homecoming, lot of good mm-hmm. stuff uh happening in that. And um in that episode, we're gonna actually get deeper into who Marlo Stanf- Stanfield is. So for now, uh continue to watch the wire and keep listening to us. We'll see y'all soon.